through, back through the book of Romans. So we've made it like we saw last week. We've made it all the way up to Romans chapter 13. And so we are looking this week, um, it's an interesting title, I know, um, Love God and You'll Hate Sin. But the reason it is that title is because some of you are like me, where you grew up in certain churches with certain belief systems, and there was a lot of conversation about sin, almost obsessively, right, where almost everything they talked about was sin. And I remember at one church I attended, people would even think, whoever in the church is in sin, I wish they would please stop doing it so we could move on to some other things. And honestly, there just wasn't a lot of nuance to the conversation. In fact, I remember being uncomfortable at times when it was brought up. Now, I do think um, the message, when I reflect back on what it said, it wasn't as effective as it could have been. It didn't have a lot of depth to it. In fact, it was don't sin, stop sinning, hate sin, hell is hot. I mean, that was essentially what the message was. But as a person who struggled and struggles with sin, it felt like, being told to put together a bookshelf, but not actually being given the tools to put that shelf together. And and I believe that it is really important for us as a church not to repeat some of those mistakes. And so Paul's approach here is really what we have seen all throughout the Bible. The only way that we can fight our sinful desires and our sinful selves is by having a higher and more supreme pleasure in our lives. Think about how that affects our message. If we want people to be free from their own sin, then we have to show them that God's love for them is a superior pleasure. So the sermon today is, as I said, love God and you'll hate sin and Contrary to what people often believe, that if they hate sin, that they will stop sinning and love God, that equation doesn't work. And so I want to give us today what the equation is from not just Paul, but all of the Bible. So go with me if you will. We're in Romans chapter 13. We're starting in the ninth verse. Paul opens up by saying, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are all summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you as we prepare our hearts to jump fully into the word of God today, God, that you would 
help us see what the pattern, what the equation is for us to fight and fend off sin in our lives, God. Not just private sins, but even the way that we treat each other and handle each other, God. The key to that is that we first love you and are devoted to you, God. And my prayer today is that we will look and find and excavate the areas in our lives where we don't do that well. And that as a challenge, we will pursue you and your will and your righteousness more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there is no coincidence here that Paul is following up, praying, paying, talking about paying your taxes and owing to others what they deserve by saying that the only thing that we should owe to one another is that we should love each other. Now, he isn't saying that we should owe each other love because we're not loving them, but rather for the Christian, loving others should be a continuous and ongoing act. And look at what he says here. The one who loves others is the person who's actually doing and fulfilling the law. Now this, you know, yes, I know it's in the Bible, but this runs so contrary to what I have been taught in my past it's the one who is holy who is fulfilling the law. It is the one who is abstaining from sin who is fulfilling the law. The one who isn't doing this and who isn't doing that. But here he actually says the one who is fulfilling the law doesn't major in what they don't do. They major in what they do. And they first love God and they fulfill that law by loving the other people around them. Which, by the way, loving God begats loving others, begats obedience to God's law. And he says what we have talked about for a while now. The law is not necessarily, when we read it, It is not telling us what to do, but it is telling us how it is accomplished. Now, some of you may or may not agree with this, but listen. We are a top-down type of people, meaning that we look at what's happening at the top and it affects it at the bottom. And I think we all know what rolls downstream. Because look at the things he's mentioning, right? He says stealing, murder, adultery, coveting, wanting what others have, jealousy. And the consensus from people is usually this. If you love people, then you won't do these things to them. But you know, y'all, I know I'm not alone in this. But I've actually seen people do vicious and malicious things to people that I do believe that they love. I've seen loved ones steal from each other. I've seen marriages crumble at adultery. Loved ones kill people that they love. And maybe it is the easy cliche cop-out answer is, They didn't love them. And in some cases, I'm sure that was the case, but don't you think that it is possible for people who legitimately love each other to do wrong by each other? Of course it is. 
And I know it makes things a little bit more complex for us as Christians, but we have a duty to work through this. And let me tell you why. When I look out into the world, when I look out on Facebook and Instagram and all the social media, the same people who want grace and mercy tend to be very black and white, and they tend to draw very hard lines like, if they loved you, then they wouldn't have done this. You should just cut them off. And I look at these things, and I start to wonder, man, I may have my expectation of love a little too low. Because I know my kids love me, but sometimes they do some atrocious things to me, and I'm like, well, according to what people say on social media, I just need to cut my kids off. Because clearly, they don't love me when they're disobedient. Well, sometimes, rarely, y'all know I don't eat beef or pork, and sometimes I come home, Chris is cooked, some beautiful, beefy, porky meal. And I don't assume, based on that beefy, porky meal, that because she didn't consider me here or because that's what she wanted, she didn't love me. Sometimes, because we are fallible people, we do things and aren't as considerate as we intend to be. So I don't think that it's true that just because you do wrong by somebody that that automatically means that you don't love them. But I also wonder this. When did perfection become the standard of expectation in how people love us? That if we are not loved perfectly, the way that we need to be loved, that we say that person doesn't love me at all. Why would people, y'all, have such a high and misplaced standard for how we love each other? Because I think the mistake and the struggle for most people is that love for them begins with the people around them. All of their love is very horizontal, and what happens is they don't realize that they are setting a dangerous and unrealistic standard. So why do they do it? Because the love isn't rooted in what it should be, which is in God. How can I hurt someone I love or believe that if someone hurts me that they don't love me? Because I believe that the love that I should be getting or the understanding that I should be getting from God, I'm trying to perfect in other people who are not God. And guess what happens when I put that expectation of love that I should have for God on other people. Then I can steal from someone I love. I can be jealous of or even murder because when the winds of trouble or hurt blew and challenged that love that I thought I had with someone, you realize that just loving people is not deep enough soul. 
And you can think that based on the size of the life that you've built with someone, the longevity of the friendship or the closeness of blood, that nothing could topple such a large tree and then it happens. And you realize that this huge tree, this relationship, this friendship, maybe even this marriage, as fulfilling as it was at one point, it didn't have roots in the right soil. And they couldn't hold. So how is it that we can reasonably love others the way we've been called and also fend off sin? Well, the answer, y'all, is that we need deeper roots and those deeper roots need to be placed in better soil. When he says, love does no wrong to its neighbor, this is only when your love is rooted in God. Y'all remember, Peter denies knowing Jesus, right? He denies Jesus three times, and there is no doubt in my mind that he did that while he still loved Jesus. He did that because the love was rooted in something other than his faith in that moment. Maybe it was rooted in the fact that he did like the proximity of being next to God. And things disturbed that, like Jesus washing feet because he knew what that meant for him. Or Jesus saying that he's going down the cross because Peter knew what that meant for him. Maybe his love that he had for Jesus was real, but it wasn't rooted correctly. And that's possible. Because in the moment when that faith is really challenged, no matter how big that tree had been built in his relationship with Jesus, when he was asked, do you know the man? He said no. And that meant that the basis of that love wasn't as stable as it should have been. But y'all, the challenge here that we have to reasonably face is that many people don't love God. As hard as it is to admit, people don't love God the way that they should, and it is most clearly seen in their love for pleasure and comfort. So how do I, if I'm in this room, and I'm struggling with sin, how do I stop? My answer to that is, it has to be placed in a higher pleasure. We've said this before, but I remember in an episode of Hey Arnold, there was this boy named Chocolate Boy. As you can probably tell from the name, Chocolate Boy had a little bit of a habit. And so at some point, they were trying to get Chocolate Boy to stop eating so much chocolate because he was addicted to it. And they would do all these things and put up all these maneuvers and all these checks of accountability. And every time he kept going back to the same thing, the same thing, he stopped for a day, go back, stop for three days. He even got up to a week one point and he kept going back. And I was like, oh, man, Chocolate Boy is me and every sin I've ever had. And finally... He changes, and he gives it up. 
But what happens? Well, one day he was picking up chocolate off of the ground because someone had thrown it on the ground to mock him and say, you'll never be able to give this up. And he's picking it up off the floor and he looks at himself and he sees what he's doing. He hears these people laughing at him. And then he quits. It was not until he had a superior love that motivated him to change. For him, what was that greater love? It was his dignity. It was that he loved himself more than he even loved chocolate. How are we expected to change? It requires from us no less than that, a superior affection. And this is a part of the point. Paul makes this point later on. He says, when you're loving your neighbor as yourself, the reason the standard is as yourself, because who's ever truly hated themselves? If you love nobody else, you love you. But me being my superior affection will actually get me in trouble because sometimes I'm going to be selfish or, or insolent and that's not what I need. And for Peter, it took a superior affection after having denied Jesus. Jesus later on, while pointing to Peter's fishing nets, the thing that had generated him income, the thing that had given him a career and sustainability, his career. He points at Peter's fishing nets and he asks his question. The same man who had denied him three times, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And three times he asks him this, just like Peter had denied him three times. Why is he asking him this? Why is he asking him, do you love me more than this? Because Jesus knows that unless he is a supreme and superior pleasure and love in Peter's life, he will fail at loving everything else. He will fail at loving himself properly. He will fail at loving others properly. And he will fail at loving the law of God. That's it. That's his point. If you are in this room struggling in a losing battle against sin, is God your supreme pleasure? It's that simple. And no, I wish there was some sort of quantitative element that I could give you and say, well, if you do these things this amount of time, but sometimes it's simple. It's the things and the places that I run to when I'm at my happiest, my maddest, my saddest. If the things that I run to make me bypass God to get to them, 
My question for you, do you love God more than those things? Whatever those things are, those things may be inanimate, those things may be people, those things may be your career or your status or your life or your pleasure or your comfort or might just plain be sin. Do you love God more than you love that stuff? Is God your supreme pleasure? I tell people all the time, and I actually mean this. This is true. I'm not making this up. I know sometimes I be making up illustrations, but this one is true. I tell people all the time that I hate going to the gym. And I am not making that up. I hate it. I hate getting up early. I hate lifting hundreds of thousands of pounds, obviously. I hate it. But there's really only one thing that I hate more than going to the gym. It's not going. The only thing I hate more than going to the gym is not being in shape and not having good health. In other words, there is a higher love and motivation that moves me to do what I would not normally do. And so when wanting to steal or wanting to commit adultery or murder, maybe the love I have for that person, that individual, isn't enough. There are going to be times that what God requires of me that I'm going to look at that person and say, but, but they don't deserve it. But they're not the standard. Jesus is. Jesus is the standard. And so, no, when I'm looking at, should I love this person? Have they treated me well? Do I feel like I'm being fulfilled in this relationship or this situation? Or does this individual treat me the way I should be treated? The standard of how I love them isn't how they love me. It is how I love Jesus and how I've been loved by him. Y'all, that's a hard standard when you feel like you've been done wrong. I was on the phone with Pastor Mike Friday because I need to blow off some steam. So I'm having some stuff going on at work. And I called him. And he understood. He was sensitive. And right at the end of the phone call, he said, Brandon, this is the lesson I had to learn. This is how you know Pastor Mike is a real pastor. He said, Brandon, this is the lesson I had to learn. No matter what offense is committed against you, it is never as bad as what was done to Jesus. In other words, yeah, I know it hurts right now, but you're not Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine what he went through what you were doing to make him have to go through that, and he still loves you. And so, yes, when I want to go back, because y'all know I'm a very vindictive person, when I want to go back and tell people and get them told and exact justice and do all these things, 
point out to people all their wrongs and bash them with the truth, I have to be reminded that I've received this great grace and mercy from God. And that if I'm only looking at them and how I'm going to treat them, that's not good soul. I got to look at Christ. But then that means also that I need a deeper rooted love. Now, I don't want us to be the shallow kind of Christians who pretend that we all have the want and desire to do things. We don't always want to do it. And I want to be as honest as possible. I don't always want to treat people right. I don't always want to obey the law. Y'all heard me last week. I don't always want to uphold this standard. I don't always want to read my Bible. I don't always want to pray. I love fellowship, and sometimes I don't feel like fellowshipping. Believe it or not, sometimes I don't even feel like coming to church. And I want to be honest. It's not always easy. There are times where it is not even always desired. But we do it. Even when it's a struggle for us to do it, we know that doing it, coming, being present, loving people, treating people well, obeying the law of God is so much better than the alternative which is spiritual atrophy. None of us wants to waste away spiritually because sometimes doing the stuff was hard. And that's it. Sometimes you may not feel like it, but when you have a greater love and motivation, even when you don't physically or mentally or emotionally feel like doing it, because our hearts are rooted in a love for God. And so I don't want anyone who is out there to feel guilty. Even when you don't feel like doing the stuff that God requires of us as a Christian, just know it only matters that you are still rooted in that deeper soil. And look at, this is the last thing we're going to look at. Look at what he says. Love is fulfilling the law. My desire for God has to be greater than my desire to even keep the law itself. He goes on, he says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to awake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As we close, why does Paul make this seeming sudden switch? Well, it's really not that sudden. 
The whole time he says that the key to obedience is loving God, right? And so he emphasizes, and it's important that we treat it with urgency, but let us not just love God in feeling, but let us love God in our doing by working to do the works that he's called us to do. As he says, by not fighting, by not being sexually immoral, by not being jealous, giving no room to satisfy our carnal desires. Just as last week I heard Jackie Hill Perry talking about when she struggled with lesbianism, and she compared it to when Adam and Eve desired the tree. And she said that they had to first acknowledge that they had desires. She said within herself, she had to acknowledge that she had feelings and desires that were contrary to what God wanted for her. And then as a believer, submit that the desires that she felt were not the authority in her life. God is. In the same way, Paul says that we should love God love his law and authority and not be led by our desires. God must lead. And I'm not here to tell you that your desires aren't real or what you feel is not legitimate. We're saved, but we still have desires that run counter to God. They must not lead. Our desire for him must be greater than our desire for them. And that's the key. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Um, as we wrestle with and think through the word of God, um, Lord, all of us have things that we struggle with. All of us have, have and are in a fight, a fight um, for holiness, to do right, God. But let us not just take this traditional view towards it, but let us look at it from the Bible with the same nuance and clarity that the Bible affords us. Let us realize, God, that all of our life is a competition of our affections, a competition of our desires. And we are all prone to be led one way or the other, go one direction or another. But God, my prayer for all of us who know you, that we would submit ourselves to you based on our deep, deeply rooted love for you. God, I also realize that for any of us who are in this room who may not be Christians, there is no possibility if we are not Christians that we can love you. Because the Bible says that you have first loved us. So God, my prayer is anybody in this room who, who is struggling with sin because they're not a Christian, let their eyes be opened. Even if the, the struggle is private, even if the struggle may not be destroying their lives in this overt way, God, but that it is counter to what you've called and how you've called us to live. 
God, my prayer is that this will be the day that your love will surpass their desire for their own lives and their own sin. And that you will open up their spiritual eyes and ears and let them hear and let them see what you have spoken. It's in Jesus' name we pray.